So, speaking of somebody leaving college and college graduation coming up, have you ever wanted to know God's plan for your life? Yeah, I got, I got some head nods there, right? Okay. Have you ever asked why you're on earth at this time? You know, God, why did you put me where you put me? What's, for, what's the future of, what's my future regarding marriage, regarding singleness, regarding children, regarding innumerable things? What's the best job to take? These questions are so common. We want to know the answers, right? We want to, to know what to do. And when we go to Scripture, every once in a while, we get a clear answer. Lord, I really want to date this unbeliever. Don't be unequally yoked. That's a good answer. Done. The Scripture is clear on that. But when we say, Lord, should I go to U of I or should I go to ISU? Scripture doesn't say anything there. It, oftentimes in Scripture we will get guidance on how to make decisions, but rarely do we get clear directions on our day-to-day minutia in our lives, right? Oftentimes we'll ask these questions of God, and instead of giving us the answer we want, okay, Lord, you know, should I pursue this or should I pursue that? Should I go for this job or go for that job? Should I go for a master's degree or should I go for a PhD? What should I do, Lord? Oftentimes the Lord, instead of giving us that answer, we kind of get the response back, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Oftentimes instead of answering our questions, we find that God tells us, shows us, that those questions are not ultimate but there's something more important for us to be focused on. This is, this is oftentimes in our days. I was 29 when I met Claudia. So I spent almost 30 years single. Not dating very often at all. To be honest about that, I was quite a bit of a nerd. And it wasn't cool yet. There was no Big Bang Theory, no, no other stuff like that. It was just nerdy. Um, and I oftentimes would ask God, like, okay, God, do you have a wife for me? What is your plan for me? And repeatedly, time and time again, through the word, through the church, it's like, see Christ. See Christ and let God sort it out. He has a plan for you that's greater than that. And it's true. And it hurt to hear that at times because I wanted to know the answer. But just like it is in our lives and just like we're going to see today in Acts 1, 6 through 8, the disciples have questions of Jesus and they don't get the response they want, but instead they're also pointed to something greater. So at, in the book of Acts, if you're unfamiliar with the text, this is Acts 1, 6 through 8. Acts, 6, Acts 1, 9 is Jesus' ascension into heaven. So these are Jesus' final words to his disciples. Jesus has lived his earthly ministry has been persecuted and put to death on the cross, has rose again, has appeared to the disciples many times. And at this point, the disciples know he's the Messiah. They know and they understand that he died for their sin. Like, they understand the gospel. They understand that they need to trust in him for the forgiveness of sin and the hope of eternal life. But what we see in verse 6, 7, and 8 is two contrasting views of the kingdom of God. We have the disciples and we have Jesus. 
We're going to see these two. The disciples' expectations of the kingdom and Jesus' commission for the kingdom. What we're going to come to see is that God's heart is for the nations. So let me read Acts 6, 1 through 8 for us. So the disciples, so when they come together, they being the disciples asked Jesus, Lord, will at you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So first we're going to look at the disciples' expectation of the kingdom. Then we're going to look at Jesus, what he has to say about that. So the, the disciples, they're with Jesus, and they ask him. They're excited. They're passionate. They're like, okay, Jesus, you died, you rose again. We get the gospel. We understand that you died for sin, but are you going to establish your kingdom now? Lord, at this time, will you restore the kingdom to Israel? The disciples lived in a time and a culture where the expectation of an earthly Messiah was rampant. And the earthly kingdom, that the Messiah was to come and free the Israelites from the persecution of the Romans. He was to establish an earthly kingdom where they could cast off Roman rule and be a free country again. And the disciples had spent years with Jesus. They'd heard all the things that we, and more than what we've read in the Gospels about Jesus' life. They knew the Old Testament promises of the Messiah, and they come to expect certain things. They came to expect that he would drive out Roman rule, establish the, the Jewish state. And after hearing Jesus correct them time and time again about his kingdom, they understood now that he had to die. Like Jesus had told them multiple times, he had to rebuke Peter and say, get behind me, Satan, when he argued with Jesus about it and tried to rebuke him. But at this point, they're beyond that. They understand the gospel. They understand that Jesus died for sinners. Yet, all that he had taught them yet about his death and his resurrection, they still had these messianic expectations in mind. They had this cultural background that said the Messiah was going to do this and even though Jesus didn't look anything like what they were expecting at first, they still expected that result. He was going to be a righteous and just king who would reign in Israel. He would perform a national transformation. He would make Israel a great nation again. Now, these same people had heard the Great Commission. They'd heard that Jesus had told them, go and make disciples of all nations in Matthew 28. 20. They heard Jesus speak in John 17, the high priestly prayer. Those who will hear through these people. They heard of Jesus' parable of the sheep that I have sheep, not of this flock. They knew that the Old Testament spoke about the nations hearing of the salvation of the Lord. Yet still their focus was on this earthly fulfillment. They were expecting Jesus to establish his kingdom and reign, and for them to reign with him. He promised them that. 
the disciples wanted to know, okay, Jesus, what's going to happen next? What is going to happen, Lord? They came to Jesus, and I want to point something out here. He tells them it's not for them to know. He doesn't rebuke them for asking the question. He comes to them gently. They come, Jesus, will you do this? He doesn't say, you shouldn't be asking that. He doesn't rebuke them. He doesn't say, get behind me, Satan. Your mind's not on the things of God, but the things of man. No, he, he gently responds to them. He says that they are not to know. It is not for you to know the times or seasons the Father is fixed by his own authority. And he follows this up in verse 8, as we're going to look like in a minute, by instead giving them something better than an earthly kingdom. Instead of saying, instead of rebuking them or of offering this earthly kingdom for their life, he answers by commissioning them as, as his disciples as witnesses, giving them something much better, a heavenly commission. As, as I said earlier when I said the questions in our life, so often we can be like the disciples. Lord, I want to know this, and I want to know this, and I want to know this. And if you haven't asked those questions, they'll come in time in your life where you do. I think we all pray, Lord, just help me know. You know, is this the right school to go to? Is this the right person to marry? Is this the right decision to make? So often we ask these things, and we can struggle with them so much and sometimes the Lord is very faithful and gentle to give us an answer. And other times, he, he sets our hearts on something different. Another way we can be like the disciples is we can spend a great deal of time with Jesus. So we can read the Bible. We can study the Bible. We could memorize entire Gospels and not think through the ramifications of what we are learning and reading and memorizing. We can learn that the gospel, the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is news. It's supposed to be shared. We can learn that the gospel is the only hope for a, a world that is lost and dying and without hope. We can learn that the Bible says without Christ, no one will be saved. We can learn all these facts, and yet we can be silent when it comes to sharing the gospel with others. We can also think like the disciples in our day and age that Jesus is on my side. You know, Jesus is on my side of the political party. He, he's he, he's going to establish whatever political party I want, and then we're shocked when things don't go our way. So often we can assume things of Jesus or we can ask of things of Jesus, and, so, and in His grace, He either doesn't answer or He gives us an answer we don't expect. Oftentimes we can learn a great deal of truth and struggle to understand it rightly. And it's such a beautiful and life-giving and joy-giving thing when Jesus doesn't answer us the way we want to be answered. Guys, when he came to the disciples here, the disciples asked him, 
Are you going to establish the kingdom of Israel? And his response is, these things are not for you to know. But instead, I'm going to give you something better, something greater. God is gracious. Jesus was gracious to his disciples. And Jesus was kind to his disciples. Instead, like I said, he set them, their minds and their hearts in a different direction. Instead of looking for an earthly kingdom, an establishment of Israel, he offered them something infinitely better. So the disciples' expectation of the kingdom was an earthly kingdom, a temporal kingdom, a reestablishment of the kingdom of David. Jesus is ruler, a just and righteous kingdom. But their dream for the kingdom of God was far too small. So we've looked at the disciples' expectation, but let's now look at Jesus' commission for the kingdom. Once again, these are Jesus' last words to his disciples. I'm going to read 6 through 8 again for context. When they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The disciples ask about an earthly kingdom. And they're given a heavenly mandate instead. Jesus says that they will be his witnesses. They will receive power from the Holy Spirit to take the gospel, to be witnesses in Jerusalem, where they're at now, in Judea, the neighboring area, Samaria, an area of of people who are not Jews, but descended from the same bloodline that was mixed. And then to the ends of the earth. The call of the disciples that Jesus gave them was not, help me rule Israel. It was, help me take the good news of the kingdom of God to the ends of the earth. The disciples were called to be witnesses. First Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5 talks about the disciples, uh, believers as ambassadors. But the witnesses here, they were to witness, they were to proclaim the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. That people can be forgiven of their sin and be restored to a right relationship with God through faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And this is a beautiful, glorious calling. Jesus' response to the disciples was profound. The Messiah of the Old Testament that the the disciples expected was to be a king to rule in righteousness. Jesus' answers showed that God had something greater than that. And throughout the book of Acts, if you read the book of Acts, and just kind of think like, where's the church at here? The church is regularly shocked by the grace of God. You know, in Acts 1, the, you know, Jesus, in Acts 2, Acts 1 and 2, the Holy Spirit's poured out, the day of Pentecost happens, the gospel is proclaimed among the, 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 uh, the Jewish people, and many come to believe. It's not till Acts 8 
where the Jewish people, in, where persecution arises in Jerusalem and the Jews are pushed out to go and they start proclaiming the gospel in Samaria and Samaritans believe. It's not until Acts 10 where Peter it has an angelic vision and goes to meet Cornelius and proclaims the gospel to Gentiles. And the Gentiles believe. And Peter comes back to the church. And the church is like, what's going on, Peter? And he goes, I proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles. Basically tells the story of Acts 10. And they believed, and the Holy Spirit came upon them. And the church is silent. And glorifies God that he would save the Gentiles also. So in the book of Acts, we see like this opening understanding of the gospel, that it's not just for Jews, not, even though Jesus has told them many times, and even though he's commissioned them to go and be his witnesses, throughout the book of Acts, we see kind of the lights coming on in the church and in the disciples' eyes as they see the, 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 that the call to be his witnesses, the call to go and spread life, eternal life, to those around in the nations those around them. Jesus commanded his disciples to take the gospel to the nations and commands both here, you be my witnesses, and in, in Matthew 28, 20, the Great Commission, to go and make disciples of all nations. He trained them during his earthly ministry. He had spent time with them. He trained them. He sent them out to the towns in Israel to speak of the kingdom of God. He wanted his disciples to understand that their role was ambassadors. He trained them for that role before he was on the cross. And he wanted the disciples to see the purpose of his death and resurrection. He also wanted the disciples to see that the heart of God was to redeem people for himself. Oftentimes, when you first read the Bible, especially if you start in the New Testament, or if you just go through the Bible once, you're like, okay, you know, when I first read the, the Gospels, it's like, wow, Jesus says all these things that just blow people's minds. And then as you start to read the Old Testament, you realize he's quoting the Old Testament so often. So often. He says, not one jot or tittle will be, will be removed, will be, will be changed. He will accomplish the law, not change it. And he says, and he teaches, and now he commissions his disciples to go. But the gospel, the salvation, the, the name of God, the glory of God, the person of God being known among the nations is not a New Testament idea alone. It is rife in the Old Testament. The Old Testament is the Bible that Jesus and his disciples had. It's the, the, the Bible that the, the church had in Acts. So I want us to see in the Old Testament that God's vision for the gospel, God's vision for his salvation has never only been for the Jews or for a small people, but for all the nations. So I'm going to read a few verses here that are just to think, to think through this concept from the Old Testament. God's salvation, His 
ultimate plan that he, he started before the, he planned before the foundation of the world was to save a people for himself of every tongue and tribe and nation. In Genesis 1 and 2, God created the world and everything in it. And God created man and woman and walked with them in the garden. He created them to be in a relationship with them, with him. This was God's design for mankind from the beginning, was for mankind to be in a relationship with him. We all know what happened. Adam and Eve fell. They sinned. They rebelled against God. And, and all that happens after that, to, for God to raise up a people for himself, to bring a Messiah to save the people from their sins. But Genesis 1 and 2, we see that the original context of mankind was to walk with God. Uh, throughout Genesis, we see multiple God times in Genesis. Genesis 18, 18, 22, 18, 26, 4, and 28, 14. God tells Abraham, in your offspring shall all the nations of the world be blessed. God says he's going to bless all the nations through his offspring. Numbers 14, 21. But truly as I live and as all the earth and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, the glory, the, the glory of the Lord will be known to all the earth. 1 Samuel 12, 22. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because he has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. So God's name, because of his name, because of the, the, the value of his name, he will not forsake his people so that his name is not profaned among the nations. Psalms are full of it. I only picked a few. I don't want to read every psalm and every prophecy because we'll be here all day. Psalms are full of speaking about the nations, the Lord's deeds to proclaim His salvation. Psalm 911, sing praises to the Lord who sits enthroned in Zion. Tell among the peoples His deeds. Psalm 96.3, declare His glory among the nations. His marvelous works among all the peoples. Psalm 105.1 Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon His name. Make known His deeds among the peoples. Isaiah, one of the prophets, 49.6 says, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. Isaiah 56.7 for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. There are dozens more verses in the prophets, in the Old Testament Psalms, across the Old Testament. They all point to the reality that God's salvation is for the nations. The message of the gospel is not the message of the Jews only. If it was... If, if, if what happened in Jerusalem stayed in Jerusalem, I'm pretty sure almost no one in this room would be a believer. I don't know if anyone here has any Jewish ancestry, but most of us don't. The gospel going to the Gentiles. The Gentiles, that's us, guys. That's good news. That's very good news. God's heart from the get-go from the beginning, from before the world was created, has been for people of every tongue and tribe and nation 
to be his, his children, co-heirs with Christ, that they may be saved. And the disciples in this, they start asking, Lord, what about this earthly kingdom? And Jesus says, I have something better for you, a heavenly kingdom, a heavenly mandate to go and make disciples of all nations, to bring, bring home, bring the gospel to them so that they may come and be your brothers and sisters. We take the, they were to take the good news of the gospel to those who have never heard that they may be saved. Now the wonder of this text, the wonder of Matthew 28, the wonder of Acts 1, 6 through 8, is that this call is not just for the disciples at Jesus' time. This is not just for the apostles. But this call to go and be witnesses is the call for us as well. All Christians are to be witnesses of Jesus. If we've repented of our sins, if you have repented of your sins and trusted in Jesus for the hope of eternal life, then you are his witnesses. The witness of his gospel and its power to save. We're witnesses in our, in our words and our actions. You know, one of the words, I, I enjoy the word ambassador that 2 Corinthians 5 uses, but really the idea is the same. Ambassadors or witnesses are people who are professing a truth to others so that they may know it. We speak on behalf of someone else that they would hear this message that, that's being sent through the ambassador. But not only do the words that we speak matter, but the actions we do matter. We represent as witnesses of Jesus, we represent him to others. When we go to them and we say, God, the Lord has sent us to, as his ambassadors, as his witnesses, to proclaim this gospel to you that you may believe and have life, then we are manifesting. We are a picture of, we are an actual physical example of the love of God for them to send the gospel to them. So, while the disciples expected an earthly ministry at first, Jesus gave them something so much better. Their expectations were temporal. Jesus gave them a commission to proclaim the gospel of, of a kingdom that will last forever. Salvation in Him, eternal life in Him. And we have that same opportunity to take that gospel Where is God calling you to be intentional with the gospel in your life? In your home? Or your family members? Maybe it's your workplace or your neighbors. Maybe it's the city, the neighborhood. Maybe it's other cities, other nations around the world. The call of every Christian is the call to be a witness. It is the call to pour out their lives for the cause of the gospel. So the call of the gospel is the gospel is the call to go, or as you go, proclaim the gospel. 
take the gospel of those who do not know who, who can't have it. If we can't go, if we're here, we're established, it doesn't mean we can't pray, we can't give, we can't pour out our lives for the gospel and partner with those who do go. But if we can't go from here, let us proclaim as we are here the good news of Jesus. We are blessed in our, in our context where the Lord has brought us together as a church to have dozens of nations, of students coming to the U of I, living in our neighborhoods, eating our food, going to the same places we shop, who, who need to hear the gospel from nations that we can't get into at times. Or we can't go and say, I want to go tell people about Jesus. They're going to say, no, you can't enter the country. But they come to us. So, we have the blessing to have people in our neighborhoods, in our classes for students who need to hear the gospel, who may only hear it here. So let's proclaim the gospel where we're at. The reason I went through the Old Testament passage, I want us all to see that God's heart for the gospel of the nations is not just a New Testament thing. It's been His plan from the beginning. And it's our hope, it's my hope that as a church we would be a gospel-proclaiming, disciple-making church that's striving to take the gospel of the nations. Because in do doing so, we both fulfill our calling to make disciples and take the gospel, but because we also reflect the heart of God to the world around us as they see that God is not passive and says, you come to me. Instead, God sends us to go to him and take the gospel. Let us strive to be lights, gospel lights to the world around us so that in the end, when we reflect back on our life and all the big questions that we have to ask, you know, Lord, should I go here? Should I go there? Should I do this or that? In the end, let's, let's reflect back and say, Lord, your kingdom, your righteousness, I wanted to seek that first by, and you took care of everything else as you promised. You were faithful to your word. I, it's my prayer that that would be the cry of our hearts as we pass, as we live, as, as we die even, that, Lord, you are faithful. Your call to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness is good and perfect and true in my life and the life of others. Let us pray. Father, you call your children. You bless your children to be your ambassadors. You take us out of darkness and sin, evil and, and spiritual death, and you save us. You make us your own children. 
Lord, your love is amazing. Father, you don't end there, but you call us to be your witnesses, your ambassadors, to take your good news to others. And Lord, I confess so often I'm silent. So often I fail to be intentional with the gospel. Lord, I don't confess this in... Lord, I don't confess this to just feel shame, but Lord, I want to be about what you're about. We want to be what you're about. Lord, help us to see the beauty of the gospel, the good news. And Father, help us to find the joy that is found in sharing it with others. For Lord, this is one treasure that only becomes, the gospel is the only treasure that becomes richer as it's shared with others. Father, we pray that you would uh, work in our hearts. We pray that you'd be with those of us who are leaving, Cassie and John and the kids and Shelby for, for missions in Mexico. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would go ahead of them, that your power be at work through them. You prepare the students' hearts even now to hear the gospel and believe. Lord, we pray that you would bear, that this work of the gospel would bear much fruit. For your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.